Now, it's January 2018. Gonzalo Montoya Jimenez, uh, a prisoner in Spain, has been found dead in his prison cell. Three doctors uh, do what they have to do. They go quickly to certify his death. And the body of Gonzalo is quickly sent to the hospital mortuary for a postmortem. After some hours, um, Gonzalo's body is brought out to the autopsy table, having been certified dead already. But as the pathologist looks at, at Gonzalo he, and is about to begin that autopsy, he starts hearing a strange noise. It sounds like the dead man uh, on the table is actually snoring. Gonzalo, it turns out, is not dead. Uh, he is sleeping. Uh, it appears the doctors, the three doctors, the medical experts, declared Gonzalo dead wrongly. Uh, Gonzalo had tried to kill himself uh, in prison by taking a drug overdose. And that overdose sent him into a coma. And the coma, coupled with um, a severe hypothermia, seems to have masked his vital signs to the point of being declared dead by three medical experts. Uh, if Gonzalo's body had not been brought to the autopsy table uh, after only a few hours, he would probably just have continued to die of suffocation there in the mortuary. As I think about the bizarre story of Gonzalo Montoya, it, re it reminded me of the importance of having a proper diagnosis in life, isn't it, for our conditions in life. And yet, as important as having a health diagnosis is for our physical health, it is even more important to have a proper spiritual diagnosis of our spiritual life with God. And so I want to ask you this morning, how is your relationship with God this morning? Now, many of us would say it is good, right? We claim to be Christians, but we have to go further. Right? Just as the, 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 the pathologist went further than just hearing from the medical experts with Gonzalo. We've got to go further, don't we? We have to ask ourselves, on what basis? We've got to do that spiritual autopsy, if you like. What gives you the confidence that you are in a good spiritual health? What is your proof of that? Well, the Bible is the only authority, isn't it? It's the only authority that can tell us what it means for us to be spiritually healthy. What it means for us to be true Christians. So you and I need to measure ourselves against what the Bible says about our faith. We need to know the marks of a true Christian, according to the Bible. We need to do that so that if we are already Christians, we can live our lives with joy and confidence with that assurance of knowing that we're children of God. We need to do that because if we don't have, we need to look at ourselves critically because if we, are, if we don't have the marks of a true Christian, then we need to repent, don't we? And we need to repent and truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can spend eternity with him rather than suffer in hell forever. So my goal over the next three messages, morning and evening, is to help us learn the three marks of a true Christian. And we're doing this because we are going through the letter of Paul to the church 
at Colossae. And today we have come to verse 3 to verse 6 of chapter 1. And this is his topic. In verse 1, Paul, you remember, introduced us, introduces himself to the new followers of Jesus at Colossae. In fact, you can look at that in front of you there. Right? He has never met them. That's what we've said. So he starts by saying, I am Paul, a fellow Christian. That's what verse 1 is saying. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. In verse 2, Paul introduces right, the Colossians to themselves, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We said last week when we looked at verse 2, that in this verse, Paul is teaching them what their new life in Christ is about. And we say, effectively, we could summarize verse 2 as teaching us, saying, the Christian life is all about Christ. It is a life in Christ, it is a life for Christ, and it is a life by Christ. It is all about Christ. That's what we learned last week in verse 2. Now, in the next few verses, Paul wants to assure these new believers that, that who he has never met, he wants to assure them, look, guys, you really are true Christians. They need that apostolic assurance, if you like. And so he's saying, look, I've never met you. You've never met me. But I've heard reports about you. And I'm convinced you're true Christians. Why does Paul say, why is Paul convinced? Well, verse 3 to 6 is telling us that. Here he gives us three marks about the Colossians that Paul believes makes them true Christians. Today, I want to look at the first two marks. This morning, we'll look at the first mark, the mark of faith. This evening, we'll look at the second mark, the mark of love for other followers of Jesus. And next week, we'll look at the mark of hope in the morning. In fact, there's a fourth mark, but really, it's a foundation, which is the gospel that underpins all of this. And we'll look at that next Sunday evening. So please look with me there at verse 3 to verse 6. I'll just read those verses again. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the old world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. There are three lessons we learn here about the first mark of the Christian life, which is the mark of faith. And, the, and I just want to break it down in three lessons that I think Paul is teaching us about faith here. First of all, true Christians have faith in Christ. True Christians have faith in Christ. The first distinguishing mark of these new followers of Jesus at Colossae is that they have a direct and personal relationship, faith, if you like, in the Messiah, Jesus. Verse 4 says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, when many of our non-believing family and friends hear this word faith, they are quick to tell us, of course, is that, that they have no faith in their life, right? They have no place for faith in their life. That's what non-believers say. Well, faith is for you. I don't really live by faith. 
That, of course, is not true, is it? Everyone lives by faith in something. Because faith, even in the original language here in verse 4, faith, the original word here for faith, by the way, is pistis. It simply means trust. When you get into the car to drive, you have faith in the car, right? Because you are trusting it, the car and the mechanic, you're trusting it not to blow up on you when you're driving. In fact, when you came here this morning, you had faith in the chair. Perhaps you trusted me instead, right? <laughs> I've looked at the chair, but you're trusting that chair to hold your way throughout the service. When you, tomorrow perhaps you may feel a bit unwell, or you may, you may, you may just give all a visit. When you pop into you know, the chemist uh, or the surgery, you have faith in the medical experts that the medicine they say you should take is good for you, and you take that. Right? All of us, every single person, lives by faith in something or someone. And all of us, and this is key, all of us have something we are trusting more than anything else to get us through life. And you know that if you didn't have that thing or that someone, you'd feel powerless. You would lose all confidence in life. Now, for some people, that thing is themselves. Just their reason, their capacity to think, their intelligence, isn't it? Rationality is what we hear. For others, it's a spouse. Or maybe it's a job. Or it is money. You know, a stash of money they have stashed aside. A pension pot. For others, it's a talent that they have. Well... Whatever that object of your trust is, whatever that thing you, are, you really depend on, you know what? That thing is your God to you. Because you live by that thing. That thing is really God to you. You live by faith in that. And so for anyone else, for all of us, the question is, do you have, is not do you have faith in God? That's a silly question. The question is, who is your God? Who is your God? Who is that God you are trusting in? And how do you know that God is a true God that you can depend on? Not just in this life, but in the life to come. Now what sets apart the true Christian is that the true Christian has faith in the true God. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And we live in trust and confidence in him. True Christians are trusting in Christ our God. Paul says that in verse 3 to 4. Isn't about the Colossians. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in this Christ. In Christ the King. Christ means King. King Jesus. Paul is saying these Colossians are trusting in Christ for their life with God. And beloved, it's not a one-off thing for them. They have come to faith in Christ. And they are continuing in Christ. They have a continuing trust in Christ. Now, again, we need to pause here and think. And remember that, sadly, some people think, when we say we have faith in Christ, 
we're talking about a leap of faith. They think we're talking about a leap into the unknown. They think that faith in Christ is simply blind trust. You don't know, you just trust it. But that is not true faith according to the Bible. Our faith in Christ is not blind. True faith in the Bible is, first of all, based on knowledge. It is based on knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done for us. You cannot have true faith in Christ without knowing who Christ is and his saving work. That is why true faith is rooted in the gospel. Who Christ is, the eternal son of God, who was put on human flesh, lived a perfect life, and gone to that cross, laid down his life for our sins. Faith begins with our knowledge of the object of our faith, which is Christ, even Christ himself. But faith is in Christ is not simply knowing about who Christ is and what he has done for us. True faith requires our hearts to believe in who Christ is. Belief. And by belief here, I mean really what the reformers called assent. Right? It requires us to be persuaded of what the Bible says about Christ and being persuaded of that, that it is really true. It is the truth of the gospel. And then we give assent to that. To believe it deep down our hearts. And not simply believing it intellectually. True faith in Christ is putting our weight on Christ. It is to give him our heart. It is to trust him with our lives. So true faith in Christ, if you like, if you're using the chair as an example which I used earlier, it isn't simply believing that chair looks good to sit on and believing that we've done everything we can to make it safe for you. No. You, are, you have faith in the chair. You don't have faith in the chair until you sit down, until you put your weight on it. In the same way, you don't have faith in Christ until you put your full weight on Christ. Listen, the devil knows about Christ more than you. And I'm sure the devil believes what the Bible says is true. In fact, he does believe what the Bible says is true. That's why he's fighting us continuously. But the devil has no personal faith in Christ. He's not sitting, resting on Christ. And you and I need to be careful that our faith is not more like, it's not like the devil's faith. It's got to be true faith that sits on Christ. I want to say a lot of people in church have faith of the devil. They know a lot about God. And they are even persuaded that it is true. But it is not a sitting faith. They haven't surrendered to Christ. Because you see here, what we're, what we're saying here, what the Bible is really teaching us about the Colossians is this. They have put full weight on Christ. They have surrendered to him. Their faith with Christ is a relationship. They have trust in Christ without reservation. So let me ask you as a first question this morning. Do you have such sitting faith in Christ? Are you truly trusting in Christ? Are you depending on him alone for your salvation? 
Would you say you have surrendered your life to Him? Can you honestly say, Christ is not some add-on to my life. Christ is my King. Well, if the answer is no, then you're not a true Christian yet. You don't have true faith in Christ. Of course, we're growing in surrender, but if there isn't that initial shift and sitting on Christ, well, you're not yet a true Christian. And you are a rebel against God. And the wrath of God, just as it rests on Satan, rests on you. With all your knowledge, with all your church attendance, it still rests on you. And until you repent, you suffer, you are headed for hell forever. Now God, who is rich in his mercy, does not want you to perish. He wants you to repent and to surrender the keys of your life. To have true faith in Christ. To be a true Christian. So accept you are a sinner today. Repent of your sin. Let Christ forgive you of your sin. Let him run your life in everything. Have true faith in Christ. And, 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 and Christ running your life, for some of you, if it's true faith, means, of course, even beginning now to be, to, well, be baptized. Obey him in baptism. For those of you already baptized, means commit yourself to the local church to serve Christ. Beloved, have true faith in Christ. Now, having true faith in Christ does not mean all your problems will go away. In fact, in some areas of your life, trusting in Christ will mean life will be more difficult. Whoever must come after me must deny himself, take up the cross, it's a real thing, and follow me. That's painful. So in some areas it will be harder. That's why many of us don't want to trust Surrender to Christ because the cost of it is too difficult. But beloved, if you trust in Christ, Christ will now be your best friend and companion. You will be in Christ forever. So you will no longer face life on your own. It means you experience joy, peace and happiness because Christ, the fountain of joy and peace, is now in charge of your life. You have faith in him. And so there's no need to look for happiness in things that cannot satisfy you. Your happiness will now flow from the love and grace of God in Christ. So come now, I say to you, come now, have true faith in Christ. Do not delay. Repent and turn to him. Because don't kid yourself. True Christians, true Christians have faith in Christ. That's the first lesson Paul teaches us here. The second lesson we learn here in your outline is that true Christians are faith that comes from God. So important we understand that. Our faith doesn't come from ourselves. Our faith, true faith, comes from God. You know, when I read these verses for the first time, I couldn't get past one thing. It stunned me. Paul is thanking God for these new believers because of their faith. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He's thanking God. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. 
You know, I'm expecting Paul naturally to say, thank you guys for having faith in Christ. We've been trying to get the gospel out there and you believed. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for being a believer, sister. Thank you so much for being a brother. That's what I'm expecting Paul to say. To go around shaking hands, right? I'm expecting him to say, you know, I'm expecting Paul to say, well done, you've made such an effort to believe in Jesus. But he doesn't say that. He says, we always thank God. Not you. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul thank God? Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? Because Paul believes the only person who deserves credit for our faith is God. Faith in Christ is a sovereign gift of God. Ephesians 2 verse 8, isn't it? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own thing. Listen to me, it is not your own thing. You didn't generate faith to believe in Christ. It is a gift of God. And Paul writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 asks this question, isn't it? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The answer, of course, is that there's nothing that we have, including our faith, that we did not receive. It is all a gift. Everything we have in this world is received and given by God. We've been taught very well in James. We continue to be taught very well in James by our elder. And he has reminded us, isn't he? Elder Ola, James 1 verse 17, For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every gift comes from God. And there's no greater gift than faith. And God gives us this gift of faith, you see, at the point of regeneration. Okay? Everyone is born spiritually dead. But God, by His grace, breathes life into a dead sinner. The Holy Spirit comes upon the dead sinner. And as He breathes life into a dead sinner, that is called regeneration. They are created anew. And the fruit, it's so important you understand this, the fruit of that regeneration is repentance and faith. You're born again first, actually, before you have faith in Christ. Because God must first impact new life. The sinner in the dead condition cannot trust God. So God must first impact new life into that person. And then with that new life comes faith. And, then we, and that faith is accompanied by repentance, isn't it? And that repentance and faith is what we call conversion. Never confuse regeneration with conversion. Regeneration is God imparting new life. Conversion is now with that new life, the sinner responds to God, trusts in Jesus, repents of their sin. They trust in Christ. They start following him. They are now a converted person. They are a believer in Christ. They are a born again believer. You see, God must face Make us see we are sinners. And that making us, of see, making us see we are sinners can only be done by him once he imparts new life. And that, as we see that we are sinners, we repent of our sin, and now we are trusting in Christ. 
So true faith, beloved, is a supernatural gift from God. And once God gives us this true faith, you see, He grows it now, doesn't it? This gift now grows within us daily by the Holy Spirit as we live in union with God in Christ. Why am I laboring this point? I'm laboring this point to encourage those of you who are truly trusting in Christ. This truth that our faith in Christ comes from God is an encouragement, is it not? To all true followers of Jesus. Your life in Christ does not depend on you. As you think forward to 2022, life will be filled with many challenges. In fact, just thinking about 2022, it fills many of us with anxieties. You do not know what will happen to your loved ones in 2022. Are you going to die yourself? You don't know. Some of you came close to death in this fellowship last year. Who is to say you're not going to come close to death again in 2022? Some of you lost loved ones. We lost a dear saint in this church last year. Who is to say we're not going to have more people going to glory? Is your health going to get worse? Will your family suffer a heartbreak? How are you going to cope with pressures at work? Is your child going to profess faith in Jesus? Or will he even drift more and more away from God? You have anxieties about your finances. Will they improve? There are many questions. None of us have answers to these things. We think about them, but we don't have answers to them. And beloved, in Christ, we do not need to know the answers to those things. What we need to know is that no matter what the rest of 2022 brings, your life in Christ is safe and secure. Your life is always safe because it is a gift from God. Your life in Christ is always safe because it's a gift from Him. The faith that underpins that is a gift and therefore the whole life in Christ is a gift from God. It does not depend on you. It depends on God Himself who has given you this life in Christ by faith. So knowing that truth then, what does it mean for us for 2022? Well, it means we don't have to worry, isn't it? We don't have to worry that we'll lose our faith because God is going to keep us if we trust in Christ. We don't have to worry that we're going to suffer a huge shockwave to our system that we just are all alone. No, because the same Christ who is keeping us for heaven is keeping us in all things. Listen, you are safe now in Christ as you will be in heaven. And because you are safe in Christ, well, in every situation you can rest in him. He's available to help you. You should keep trusting in him. Are you in a situation at the moment where you feel you need special help from Christ? Well, this also says, go to him in faith. He's given you that faith. And that faith is the faith union we have with Christ. Therefore, you can pray to him with confidence. He's ready to hear you. Ready to receive your prayers. Because you have faith in him. And can I just say... It also means, this is an extra bonus point, that if you are trusting in Christ, 
You should be looking at your situations in a very different way from the non-believer. When you suffer heartache, when you suffer difficult relationship, when you, people you've depended on all of a sudden have drift away, or perhaps you just, there are things that are unexpected. What is going on there? What is going on there? But what is going on there is that you have not lost your faith. What is going on there is that God is stripping away all the other things you attempted to put your faith in. So that your faith can grow in him and him alone. That, so that you can be reminded that what you need is him, not those things. Because all the other things you see, they are false gods. They want us to put our faith in him. So God, by his grace, what he does is, you see, he removes these, what the Puritans called supports, right? He removes these things we lean on, these false gods we attempted to worship. So that our faith is only in him. And so even in the middle of difficulties like that, there's encouragement there. That what God is about in my life is to make me grow in faith in him. Because this brings us to the third and final point. Paul wants to teach us from this, isn't it? Yes, the first point is that, you know, true believers, true Christians have faith in Christ. And we've seen that we can be encouraged about the second point. True Christians have faith that comes from God. Our faith comes from God. Well, that faith is not static. And this is the final point. True Christians have faith that is growing. Growing. God is growing our faith in Christ. Now, Gabby, Gabby, William, Gabby Williams, she has the face of a baby. She has the body of a toddler, and she wears nappies. But Gabby is actually nine years old. It seems as everyone around her ages, Gabby stays the same. As a nine-year-old, Gabby should weigh four stones, but she weighs 11 pounds and is only two feet tall. Gabby has a condition so rare that experts have still not given it an official name. A condition is a medical mystery. It, it takes Gabby four years to age one year, right? And Gabby was born blind. She can't speak. She's completely dependent on her parents. She's fed milk every three hours from a bottle and needs constant care. Her mom says it doesn't matter what her nutrition is, she just doesn't get bigger. And as we think about Gabby's situation, uh, it fills us with sadness, isn't it? Because we realize that growing is a normal process in life, isn't it? Living things grow. Babies are meant to grow. Babies in Christ are meant to grow as well. When they are not growing, there is something wrong. When we are not growing in our spiritual life, there is something wrong. Because when we have true life in Christ, we should expect people to see that true life in us. There should be evidence that we have a living faith in Christ. 
And we see that's the case here with the Colossians, isn't it? Look at verse 3 to 4. Their faith was growing. Their faith is real. Therefore, Paul sees it. Has heard about it. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. It was evident to all. Paul is saying, we have heard about your faith from Epaphras. You say later on, isn't it? Who is a faithful minister to you. People are talking about your faith. And it is bearing fruit. We know that because verse 5 to 6 tells us, doesn't it? Verse 6 says, which has come to you, the gospel, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. And then what does he say? As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul is teaching that as here that their faith is true faith because it's bearing fruit. It is growing. True Christian faith is living faith that grows. It is a, like a spiritual mustard seed that starts small and then continues to grow to bear spiritual fruit. And the reason our faith grows, true faith, is because the Holy Spirit, you see, lives in us and he enables us by his power to grow in our faith in Christ. And here's the key point. Even though our faith in Christ is a gift from God, from start to finish, Ephesians 2 verse 8, we are not robots in the process. God partners with us to grow our faith. It pleases God by his grace who can make us grow without our involvement to involve us in that process. We have a responsibility to cooperate with them. So that God would continue growing that faith in us, in Christ. And how do we cooperate with God? Well, what should we be doing to ensure our growing, our faith is growing and bearing fruit, just like the Colossians? Well, I think we can learn how to grow spiritually in our faith in Christ by simply observing the behavior of newborn babies. Observing newborn babies, including the baby there in the foyer, would help us, actually. What helps them to grow physically? What helps a baby to grow physically? Well, first of all, a newborn baby or a baby cries, doesn't it? That's the first thing. A baby cries for help from a mother or a dad, right? That crying is an alarm calling to be cared for, to be fed, right? God has designed the baby, that in every baby, right? Well, it's the same way uh, for a true Christian. Where there is life there, there is this crying, this spiritual crying to God, this thirsting after God. So God grows our faith in Christ by giving us this thirst to cry out to him in prayer. Romans 8 verse 15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we do what? We cry, Abba, Father. But you and I know that sometimes we grow cold in crying to God. We grow cold in our prayers. We are prone to depend on ourselves. And as a result, our faith in Christ falters. Listen, a faltering faith is not a failed faith. We can falter in our faith. That doesn't mean our faith has failed. But we need to realize that the reason our faith falters is because we are not doing what the baby is doing. We're not crying out to God. 
Do you want to grow in your faith? Well, first of all, repent today of your prayerlessness. Ask God to grow your desire to cry out to him as a baby. Cry out, Abba, Father. So if a baby, first of all, cries out, isn't it? The second thing a baby does, a newborn baby, is that it sucks milk, doesn't it? God has designed each baby to crave for right stuff, right milk, right? Without feeding on the good milk from the mom, they struggle, don't they? Well, like babies, all children of God grow in their faith in Christ by the right spiritual nourishment, they're hungering for the word of God. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of life. The word of God. It grows by feeding on the bread of life. Even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. By feeding on Christ through his word. What about you? As someone who professes faith in Christ, would you say you have a growing hunger to know more of Jesus? To know more of his word? Let's take your Bible reading, for example. Are you growing in reading and listening to the Bible? Are you a person who listens to it perhaps just once a week in church? Or reads it once a week? Or are you a person who's reading, listening throughout the week? When you come to church, are you in the best condition? Have you arranged your Saturday evening in such a way that when you come to church on Sunday, you're not just ready to hear, you are ready to hear attentively to the word of God? Are you making every effort to be read the word with other believers? There are many, the ladies here have a women's fellowship where they, they are studying through the disciplines of a good woman through a book. Are you making an effort to know more about that? Know more of God through such good works? Are you, are, you, are you, if you're a man, are you plugging into the men's fellowship? And above all, are you, are you making time to study the word of God? We've got two things now happening on Wednesday, giving you more opportunities to plug in, to pray with other believers and to read the Bible together online. Are you making an effort for that? We grow through the word, through the word. Finally, a newborn baby, just as I come to an end, moves. <laughs> so they cry. Right? They feed and they start moving. They move, right? There's nothing like a busy toddler. Right? They're all over the place. As the baby grows, they're all over. The stairs and granddads know all about these things, of course. It's hard to keep up, isn't it? If you're a granddad, right? The kids are so fast. Right? They buzz with limitless energy. Well, a true born-again Christian, as they grow in faith, had to be like that energetic toddler. We have to be zealous for good works, Paul tells Titus in Titus 2 verse 14. That means buzzing with desire to serve God. Not being begged into service, not even, oh no, I'm not sure, but wanting to, eager to do good works for the kingdom. No mourning and complaining, but out there doing it, saying, what should I do for God? Lord, I'm ready to serve at your service. That's true faith, isn't it? That's true faith. Buzzing faith. If you want to grow in Christ, give yourself to the kingdom. Give yourself to God to grow your gifts. He has given you. 
And I don't just mean in the fellowship, but wherever God has placed you. At work, at home, give yourself to him. Well, we have seen, haven't we, coming to an end, that true Christians have faith in Christ. And our faith in Christ comes from God. And this faith is a living and growing faith. And all of us, as I just said, have a responsibility to cooperate with God, to grow our faith in prayer, in feeding on the word, and should I say also, in other means of grace, like the Lord's Supper, and also growing in serving him wherever God has placed us. That's the first mark, the mark of faith. 